0: This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to... We're watching here, we're watching here... This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. Uh, My name is Chris Williams. With me, he is the mashed potatoes to my green bean casserole, Perry Seibert. (laughs) If I can't be the stuffing, I'll take
1: the mashed potatoes. (laughs) That's good. I can live with that.
0: And I'm very happy to be green bean casserole. I think I'm in the minority uh, among my friends and family, but I... I, uh, I perk up every time I see it on the plate.
1: That is a necessary part of the Thanksgiving meal for you. I get
0: it. Uh, This is going live Thanksgiving week. First off, we hope all of our listeners have a wonderful Thanksgiving and a a great start to the uh, Christmas season um, or whatever holiday you're celebrating this year. Um, We're going to be talking movies. Uh, It's Thanksgiving. I know normally you'd be trying to escape your family and heading out to the movies. Sorry, you're not doing that this year. But hopefully we can talk about the movies and gratitude and movie things we're thankful for. Uh, and I think it's going to be a fun conversation. But first, Perry, what have you been watching? What have I been watching? Chris, as
1: we uh, as we settle down to uh, talk about this, uh, which uh, I will confess is a few weeks ago that we actually recorded this. I am three episodes into The Queen's Gambit.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Have you watched
0: this? I have not. My wife... I think, binged the entire thing uh, and was halfway through it before I found out she was even watching that.
1: So I love Scott Frank, who wrote this, who adapted mm-hmm. it. it's from it's adapted from a Walter Tevis novel, the same guy that wrote uh, the books that The Hustler and The Color of Money are based on, uh, in, in addition to The Man Who Fell to Earth. Uh, and it is... Uh, it, I, 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 have, I have rarely had this reaction to anything. It's... It, first up, no matter what else I say, please know, three episodes in, I think it's very good. It is very good. But it is amazing how often it trips over itself to keep from being great. Mm. <laughs> it's to the point that it's annoying. I, I am talking back at the screen at the stupid little mistakes they keep making. <laughs> and I, I, I'm curious to see if this will even out. Or if I'm going to do this the whole way through, I do not want to stop watching. It's never enough to make me go, this is terrible. I am not saying that in the slightest. But it's just a case of, I don't know why you didn't think this through and take time. I don't know whether Scott Frank, for the first time ever, had seven hours to fill and doesn't know how to do that as well as he can fill two hours. Because he's a brilliant screenwriter. Oh, yeah. And his western with Jeff Daniels that was done for Netflix was actually a script he'd tried to do forever, and then went to Netflix and they said, "You want to expand it?" And he was like, "Oh, okay." And by all accounts, that worked really well. Um, this is w- such an odd thing to me watching *Queen's Gambit*. It is, uh, it is so, and this sounds like such a horrible thing to say, Chris. It's so overly produced. It is so textured visually, but in a way that for me doesn't isn't it doesn't inform anything. Mad Men was like that, but that was the point of Mad Men. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is like that, but that's part of the point of that world. And I'm not sensing why this why this show needs to look so strenuously and self-consciously like it knows its peak TV instead of just telling its story. And so maybe it will maybe it will present itself in a way that I'm like, okay, I see why you told it that way. Or I'm gonna go the whole way thinking, you could have just made a movie. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't get to make movies anymore. No, we make
0: <laughs> we make ten hour movies these days. Right.
1: Does anybody want to watch all of the vow? <laughs> That's a fascinating story. You know what? The entire Enron story got told in two hours really, really well. <laughs> I just, I, I, again, we talked about this last episode, man. It's the death of adult entertainment. Everything has got to be prestige or pulp. There is no middle ground, and I think it's really hurting in a lot of ways. And all of this, as I said, talking about a show that I think is very good <laughs> and worth seeing. I am, I can't believe I am, I am, I am as flustered by this show as I am.
0: Well, sometimes the good is the enemy of the great, so.
1: I you know I don't believe that that's that's that whiplash bullshit. I don't buy <laughs> that. I don't. I, I will take the good. It, more good cannot be a bad thing.
0: <laughs> uh, here's here's how much TV is out right now. That is that Scott Frank did a show like you said with Jeff Daniels, a Western, and I have never even heard of it.
1: Yeah, I'm am blanking on the name. It's a one word title, and I can't, uh, like, I'm, I'm looking at it name, now.
0: So. Godless.
1: Yes. And I meant to get to, I would still like to watch it. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's worth seeing, but I, 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 I yeah, I, I, but I will continue to watch Queens Gambit. Absolutely. Uh, I, they, they
0: haven't lost me yet. I I've had a lot of people tell me they're watching it and it's just, I, I feel like in the last few months, the TV I've had, I, I've gravitated for has been comedy, right? Like I haven't wanted to watch anything dark. I haven't wanted to watch anything serious. Unless it's a movie. A movie, I can handle it in two hours. But ten hours of drama is a bit much for me these days, and I've been gravitating to comedy. But I will maybe add it to my cue for down the road when we are in happier times. Um, yes. Even though, even though the, my entry for what we've been watching is not necessarily a happy en- entry. <laughs> uh, it is the very good documentary Dick Johnson is Dead uh, on Netflix. Have you heard of this, Perry. I, that title is familiar, but I do not okay. know what
1: this is about.
0: So, this is a documentary by Kirsten Johnson who uh, did Camera Person, which has been sitting in my criterion queue for the past year. And I know I need to watch it because it's, yeah, I, I know a lot of people who love Camera Person. She is a documentary cinematographer, vi- been involved with several really high profile documentaries. This movie is about Kirsten Johnson realizing that her father is getting old. He will not be around much longer. He's starting to have the early stages of Alzheimer's. So she decides her way of coping is going to be making a series of vignettes where he dies horrible deaths with him playing himself.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Probably an inappropriate reaction, but it was an honest one.
0: You know what? It's not an inappropriate reaction because he's game for this. He's very excited to be killed off over and over on screen. And sometimes these ways are very funny. Sometimes they're just shocking, but they're just kind of the, they they set up the, the frame of this movie, which is really this relationship between a woman and her father, uh, who is a, just a wonderful, kind screen presence. He's just a joy to watch. But it's her wrestling with the fact that one day he's not going to be there. And Mm -hmm. how can she spend all the time possible with him? And then grappling with how much to put on camera and when to put her camera down. And it really just reminds me so much of how we have problems talking about death in America. It's not something that comes naturally to us. And it's about someone processing grief before the person is gone, it's about celebrating a life while that person is here it is it's a movie that really stuck with me it's very moving and yet very funny and joyful in places uh it would make a really interesting double feature with the farewell which was on my top ten list last year uh it's it's very very sweet in places but also very raw as uh he oh you know, he he gives her kind of carte blanche access to as he's starting to his memory's starting to go and he's mm-hmm. started it it's it's like nothing I've seen before in the fact that it's so open about death that this main character will not be there one day and mm-hmm. uh it I watched it late at night one night and I should not have done that because uh I stayed up very late thinking about it and very haunted by it uh it, it it's a very very striking little movie All Right. um it is available on out. netflix it is uh yeah it, it it's it's a very interesting documentary and it's it's really stuck with me um you might say i'm thankful for it if you wanted to get into a segue <laughs> um so, but I, but I am. It, it was a movie that left me kind of thinking about you know the the fact that we don't really discuss our mortality very much and don't like to think about it in the people we love. And um, yeah, no. I, I, I really recommend it. It's one of my favorites this year. Um, but as we said earlier, this is uh, Thanksgiving weekend as you're listening to this, or maybe a few days before. Uh, and so, I, you know, Perry, I was telling you that before this, uh, I've I've pitched this idea two years. I think. Last year I ended up being like waylaid with – my daughter was sick for a bit and school and stuff. So we didn't get around to it. So this year I was like, oh, I'm going to pitch this again. Movies we're thankful for or things about the movies that we're thankful for. And then when I sat down to do it, I was like, oh, I don't know how to do this. Uh, (laughs) So – so this could be very interesting, and I, I thought I'd start off by asking you. When you sat down to make your list, um, and you can you can use this as your segue into your first one, how did you decide what to what to list?
1: It was really hard. I mean, I, I just tried to think about the things that that bring me the most joy about you know, about anything going, about anything related to how I, how I take in movies and how I think about movies and how I experience movies. And, um, and it turned out to be really, really, I, th- I tried to think of, okay, could I name a camera move? Could I name, you know, a particular kind of something to get at that, you know, I didn't want to name a particular artist mm-hmm. of any kind. Um, uh, and I didn't want to go with something so broad and amorphous that it didn't really have any meaning in it. So I think I mostly aired on that side of it. <laughs> but I'm gonna do my best to explain <laughs> each of the three choices uh, in, in, in enough detail that you understand I don't mean it as amorphously as it sounds. Sure. Well, why don't you start with your first? I will start with the easiest one, the one that needs the least uh, explanation at all, uh, and that would be that would be the Criterion Collection. Okay uh from uh i i i'm a child of the laserdisc i still have my laserdiscs. i still have an operational laserdisc player uh that's how far i go back with criterion <laughs> uh because they 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 do exactly what i want somebody to do somewhere in the world all the time what's the mission statement to to bring out definitive versions of modern and classic films mm-hmm. uh and they do that, and they do it beautifully. And now they do it with the Criterion Channel. And it's not that I think everything on there is the greatest thing ever. It's not that it's not that I think it's the perfect film school in a in a, in a business. It's that they care, they love this stuff like I do, uh, and that's all. It's it it is knowing it's there and knowing it's run and cared for so greatly, and there for me to enjoy means that I'm not the only one who's obsessed with this crazy stuff. (laughs) And that's, and that's a really nice feeling as it is every month. When I see what's coming out uh, three months from now and go, yeah, okay. I got to get that one. Yeah. I got to get that one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got to get that one too. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's, I gotta put that on the list. I'll get to them eventually. I don't have to get them the second they're out, but I know, I know I'm going to have the blu ray of the elephant man sitting on my shelf by the end of the year. (laughs) It's just going to. I don't care that it's on the channel right now. I'm still going to shell it out because I want that on my shelf. Sure. And so, yes, that is the first thing I am thankful for is the Criterion Collection.
0: You know what? And the Criterion Collection has been a great gift and a great shame for me uh, <laughs> in that I have had it for uh, since since it debuted. I, I made a New Year's resolution this year to, to be more into the Criterion Channel watching movies, and I have been. But man, it, it's like every month there's like twenty more that I'm like, oh, I haven't seen that. Oh, I haven't seen that. And so that my list keeps growing and growing. But then I almost feel like when it's time to sit down at the end of the day and watch a movie, oh no, that's that's gonna be heavy. That's gonna, you know what I mean? Like, like it, it's gonna be sitting down for a meal when I just need a snack. And so I don't make the progress I want to make on it. But man, I, I think that is. It's the best streaming service out there. If you're a movie lover, um, you know you can look at HBO Max. Has the TCM section, which has a lot of Criterion stuff, and that's a great like beginners. You know that that that's kind of like your first hit of seeing some of these movies on there. But man, I mean, if you're if you're a film fan, there's everything on there. I guarantee you've probably not seen half of what's on there. I know I haven't seen probably th- you know three quarters of what's on there. And the thing I love about it, though, is that they do the thing that Criterion discs do so well, which is the channel also makes room for extras, mm-hmm. which streaming services don't tend to do, which yep. drives me nuts. Uh, HBO Max does put director's cuts on there. Um, but Criterion Channel, every almost every movie has about two or three extras at least. And so last last month I sat down and I loaded up my list with um, their 70s horror stuff, which I I was definitely going to get to. And I definitely did not get to. And uh, <laughs> but I did watch Night of the Living Dead, um, which I had seen before. And I think we've talked about before. I, I It's one of my favorite horror movies. Mm-hmm. But they had a fantastic discussion that was uh, part of that with Frank Darabont and Robert Rodriguez And I think Guillermo del Toro Mm -hmm. talking about the importance of that movie. And it's, it's just three filmmakers who I really like. Well, two filmmakers who I really like and Robert Rodriguez talking about a movie that I love. And that's fantastic. That's, you don't get that on Netflix and you don't get the depth of stuff they have on Netflix. Like, (laughs) <laughs> there's there's a foreign film section on Netflix, but it's not what you're getting on Criterion Channel. And no, it's it's fantastic. It's I, I've I've heard someone say that the next step, uh, the next phase of film criticism is curation, right? Like when you have these streaming services, it's the, the there's something special about one that can curate the movies that everyone should see. So I think if you look at genre shutter's been very good about that. They have a great lineup of horror movies if that's your thing. Criterion mm-hmm. Channel is like top tier like this is this is what you should be aware of and I you know I think the the, the biggest joy I had this summer was going through and watching the uh The Salesman and Grey Gardens and Gimme Shelter yeah. and the fact that they care enough to put those those collections out there it's fantastic it it is a wonderful tool i i absolutely love criterion channel i love that it's there i love that i don't have the same response to it that i have to netflix where i turn on netflix and i spend 45 minutes trying to find something i want to watch i turn on (laughs) criterion channel and i spend 45 minutes just daunted by all the things I need to watch, and you know, in the end, that sometimes I just watch Step Brothers again. But hey, uh, but 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 I mean, I've also seen many great movies this year that I, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll probably talk a little more about later. But that that's a fantastic pick. I, I think that is, especially when there are not movie theaters right now. That's a gift. That is a great thing to have. I agree. I'm thankful for it. Um, I kind of went about my list a little differently because, as I said, I had no idea how to do this. Um, I knew that I didn't want to replicate anything I'd talked about before, and I didn't want to just list three movies I was thankful for. And I really didn't want to go the obvious route, so I didn't – you know, I made sure that the Muppet movie Tree of Life – the before series and Spielberg were just not on this list. Like I banned them. Uh, and start what I started thinking about, because I was like, I don't know how to begin to say, you know, like you I'm sure there are brief moments in movies I'm very thankful for. Like I thought about the final bell in Rocky and the way that final not the win, but the announcement of the results is played is something I really love. And I thought about that, and those just didn't seem right. I couldn't find a cohesion. So then I thought back you know, this year when we've been stuck in our houses, not been able to go to the movie theaters, movies have become, you know, something meaningful to me in a way they haven't been in a long time. I'm not going to see new movies over and over. I'm much of the time turning to vintage movies, turning to old movies. And so I thought back to this year and kind of what is it that stands out this year that I've turned to in the movies? And, um, so it was things I hadn't anticipated. And I will start with a specific movie, um, which is, I I believe there's a criterion edition of it. You will not find it on the criterion channel, but it's a very beloved movie by a director. We talked about very recently, and it is the princess bride. Um, Oh, (laughs) and the reason I picked that is I have a history of with this one. um, So I didn't see this growing up. I didn't see this movie until my 20s. And I've always been really frustrated by it because all my friends, this is their favorite movie. You ask them their favorite movie. It's The Princess Bride. (laughs) They love The Princess Bride. Anytime it's on, they will watch The Princess Bride. And I remember trying to watch it two or three times and enjoying it and thinking, okay, that's, that's good. But... I could not understand their love for it. Uh, It was just, okay, that's, yeah, that's cute. Um, But one of the first weeks in the pandemic, we sat down to do a family movie. And my kids are eight and five. And so it's really dicey to figure out what we can watch, you know, because they're at the age where right now they want trolls and, uh, you know, Pixar and things, and Pixar's great, but they want trolls and Disney and stuff. And my wife and I don't always want that, um, and so it was kind of this navigation. We we just had a night where we're like, well, "What if we try The Princess Bride?" And we put it on, and it was such a delight to watch a movie that for all four of us was just pure joy for different reasons. So my <laughs> wife and I, we love the dialogue in there, and it was the first time I watched it. And was like, "Oh, this movie is just a joy to watch. It's just fun. It's happy. It's a delight." My son mm-hmm. loved the uh, sword fighting. My daughter loved the fairy tale aspects, and it's very hard to find a movie that satisfies the whole family and that the entire watching of it is just so much joy. I, I don't know. I think my approach to it before had been thinking that it was supposed to be some great fantasy, and no, it's just a really good comedy that is t- that happens to be a fantasy and uh it really is a perfect movie for families to watch and you know it it i don't know if it's ever going to be you know my favorite movie but i was so thankful to have especially after two weeks of really dour news and being stuck in our house and having everything upended we had this movie we could turn to that just made us all smile for two hours straight um and yeah I, I i was very thankful for that experience and very thankful for this movie
1: that makes a lot of sense
0: so what do you got for number two
1: so this is very broad so i i, I beg your forgiveness um again I was I, I didn't really want to i did I, I didn't want to pick people I didn't want to go to a specific place person
0: mm-hmm. that
1: just seemed so narrow uh, a thing to be thankful for with something like this. Um, and it was so hard when I was thinking of all the actors that I love in movies, the actors who throughout history are like, if they're there, I'm so happy. I just want to watch them be it, you know, Claude Rains, Brendan Gleeson, uh Margot Martindale, Don Cheadle, there, I mean, the, the, it was endless and then I realized, oh, I'm thankful for actors. <laughs> I am thankful that there are people that talented at pretending people that interested in being a vessel through which we see ourselves. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's magical. It's I, I have, I have, I am in awe of actors. I respect directors. I'm in awe of actors. Uh, because it does It does seem like that thing we can all do, and we all do do it. We all do it. We all just don't always think about doing it in front of an audience who's paying to watch us do it. I mean, it's, it's, um, it is the endless mystery of movie going for me, and I love movies, and I love directors, but, oh, I don't know that I would care at all about this medium if there weren't people to look at and to watch while we're doing it. And I don't know that I would love film if it were all nature documentaries. I don't think I would. And so I am, I am thankful for all of those amazing, uh, those amazing creatures of empathy that can make me see myself on a big screen or on a small screen or on any screen. And frankly, this, this moves out to not screens, even on stage – uh, I just, I, I am so thankful to watch actors that I love and even to watch actors I don't like who surprised me with a great performance. It's, it, it is, it's, it's a marvelous, marvelous thing. Well,
0: oh, that's, that's really good. I've always found that when I sit down to write a review, the hardest thing for me to do is write about acting because I don't know how they do it right (laughs) like there is something like you said we all do it you know i act in front of my kids i i act at work we put on personas but to do that intentionally every day and to create characters who become beloved over decades like i don't know how you do that and there are certain people we we talked last episode about aaron sorkin's movies and yeah Mm -hmm. it was great to listen to his dialogue but man to see jack nicholson tear into someone. Or earlier this year I watched The Last Detail and to watch Jack oh. Nicholson just ooze oh. charisma. Um or to see Philip Seymour Hoffman pop up in Moneyball and I had totally forgotten he was in there and suddenly yeah. my heart hurts because I'm like, I don't get any more new Philip Seymour Hoffman performances and it was yeah. always a joy to watch him that I, I I mean that that's fantastic. That's a really that's a good pick. Um <laughs> yeah well thank you. Um, thank you <laughs> my my second one is also broad it's the same way uh, it's it, it's a collection of people and it's one that surprised me but i kind of thought back to you know what i turned to for comfort food uh, during the pandemic which is when really uh, so much of my uh you know i we write about movies a lot we see new movies a lot so i don't always get as much of a chance as i would like to just sit back and watch old movies that I love or return to old favorites because there's always two or three new movies coming out in a week, you know, in a normal year. So I've gone back to old movies that I loved and I found myself really kind of gravitating to franchises as kind of my comfort food during the pandemic, but it was very specific. Like I love watching the Marvel movies with my son. I haven't watched a Marvel movie since maybe the last one was out in theaters. You know, I, I love, um, you know, lethal weapon and I haven't watched a lethal weapon movie except for the first one in ages but I, I found myself buying several full series uh, including John Wick, Mission Impossible and Mad Max and then on criterion as soon as as soon as it was available I went to police story with Jackie Chan and I think what I realized what I was craving and what I'm so thankful for are stunt people. <laughs> um, Because, y- you know, you know how many big movies we see in a year, right? Like, how many Marvel movies are out in a year now? Like, three or four Marvel movies, five or six DC movies, at least usually a Fast and the Furious or something, or something with The Rock. And so much... And I love action. I grew up on action movies. And so much of it now is... Even though we have computers to do whatever we want, there is so little imagination in how action is presented these days. It's always flashing lights, a gray field, smoke, and things are blurry. Like that is action in a movie. Like if you watch Avengers Endgame, it is that last hour is every comic book character you could ever want to see on the screen fighting in a gray field. And it's yep. all computers. And there is a joy that I have just found in going back and watching great stunt work done practically. No CGI or very little CGI. So you go back and you watch John Wick and the choreography in those movies is so amazing to watch. It is it, it, it's like watching a musical where they shoot people in the head. Like it's the best way I can describe <laughs> that. Or or watching Jackie Chan in Police Story pull off a stunt that is so amazing that the movie stops to show it twice. Like yes. he's he's sliding down those light poles and they're bursting in his hand and the movie backs up so you can see it again. Or yeah. the one movie that I think maybe got to be filmed this year, stopping on Twitter to watch Tom Cruise ride a I forget what it was but it was like riding on top of a bullet train or something you know the the fact that you know one of our most our biggest movie stars just decides every few years you know I'm gonna see if I die so that I can make this movie for you <laughs> um and, and I watched I, for the first time I we have talked about Mad Max Fury Road before but I had never seen Road Warrior before until this oh. year and yeah. I watched that and I had the same reaction I had to Fury Road like how is no one dead? Making this movie, like, yes. it, it, it's it's so much fun and it's intense and it it feels real, like, and that it feels visceral. Um, even if you look at like the better of the Fast and Furious movies, they're the ones that throw the computers away and just have cars smashing stuff up because there's a different impact to that. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> And I I just, I, I've had a pure joy in watching that. It might be like a little caveman joy, you know, of watching things smash and blow up, but it's also, the movies are supposed to be, you know, one of the joys of them is getting to watch the impossible be brought to life. Mm-hmm. And to watch people actually do that in a way that requires one of them to take on a little bit of danger is so gratifying. Like it's, It's so much fun to watch that and realize, Oh, someone had to think of how to do this safely. Someone had to think this out, put themselves in a contraption, take on a bit of risk instead of putting zeros and ones in there. And I I firmly believe as much as I enjoy watching the Marvel movies in 20 years, those are going to look so dated. In fact, some of them do because it's all computers and road warrior still hits just as hard today. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm very thankful for uh, stunt men and women and them putting their lives online so that I can uh, I can enjoy it with a beer after, uh, after work.
1: <laughs> That's a great pick. <laughs> That's a fabulous pick. What is your third? Uh, my third one, and again, I'm going to beg your indulgence. I'm going to pick something that is the exact polar opposite of the last thing I was thankful for. I obviously can't stay on any one track for too long, Chris. Um, You know, you've known me long enough that I I hope that I succeed in not falling prey to being dogmatic about too many isms about anything – I, I try to stay really open. I mean, there are things I know I like and don't like, but even within that, there might be things about things I don't like that I like. Um, so I'm not a big person. I, I'm not a big theory person. I don't. I don't think there's a particular way you need to look at and analyze things. But um, my third thing I'm thankful for is the auteur theory. Hmm. <laughs> And I'm going to try to explain why. The auteur theory isn't new. It's been around almost since the beginning of film. The Germans actually thought of it in the 1910s. And it was the idea, basically, at the simplest possible level, level, that the director is the author of the movie, that there is one voice. It might be a a, a collaborative art, but the director is the author. And it was made popular by the French in the late fifties who were seeing all the films that were not allowed to come to France when it was occupied from the U S and all those critics became the great French new wave directors who the American directors of the seventies all were influenced by, and it's not, it's not all of that. Why, why this is on my list. It's there because more than anything else, and not that I believe it wholeheartedly, the auteur theory, when I came to it, taught, made me realize how I think about these things. And, you know, I, I, like anybody our age, I grew up watching Siskel and Ebert and Thumbs. <laughs> I read, you know, who I could. Um, but, you know, the auteur theory is the first time you come across some sort of dogmatic thing of this is how you're supposed to analyze these things. And while at its most extreme, it's incredibly problematic, if you're a hardcore auteurist, you believe that the worst film by an auteur director is better than the best film by a non-auteur director. And the word doesn't even have the same meaning anymore because the auteur theory was written about a time when the studio system existed. Mm -hmm. And they were talking about how these artists fought through this system that required them to do these specific things to have a personal vision on the screen. And now when we throw that word around, we talk about it. We talk about a director who makes sure they have the freedom to do whatever they want to do, as opposed to fighting for that freedom within a system that did not want them to have it. Um, It it, it is, it is, I, I, you know, I, I read about it intently in college and thought about it and realized it is, in a way, the way that I have always thought about films going forward, and that's – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take in each film from whatever, whatever person involved in the film that I want to look at, and I'm going to put that in their career. And that's really the way I end up looking at it. And that's – yeah, that's often the director. It's easiest to be the director because the director does make the movie. <laughs> He's, he and she has a lot of help don't get me wrong it is a collaborative art form and there are films that are all about the writer and not the director but that's just another way for me to think about the auteur theory if i think the writer is the author of the movie that's a really great way for me to think about this and that's how i'm going to classify these films when i talk about them that's why it was fun to talk about aaron sorkin last week or last sorry last episode to to think about how yeah he kind of is the author of, of A Few Good Men. I don't think of it as a Rob Reiner film. I really mm-hmm. don't. <laughs> it is, and it's absolutely worth talking about as a, as a chunk of Rob Reiner's filmography. It certainly has his touches on it. But again, it's 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 the classification system that works best on my mind. And yes – I know it seems ridiculous to praise the auteur theory right after talking about how actors are more important to you than anything else, but I'm a complicated man, Chris. I contain <laughs> multitudes.
0: <laughs> that's that's interesting, though, because you bring that up, and I think of when we've had our – you know, tried to figure out what we're going to talk about every episode. And we'll often pick out a movie, but my mind often gravitates toward, oh, if we do that, then we can talk about everything the director did and where this yeah. fits in that. And that is how my mind works on that. like. And maybe that comes from reading critics who are, you know, really influenced by the auteur theory. And maybe it's just an easy classification system in my mind. But, you know, I grew up, I, I remember I read um, Jurassic Park when I was way too young. So probably sixth grade, I read Jurassic Park, which is the best, best age to read that and a totally inappropriate age to read that. <laughs> and I knew a movie, I knew they were making a movie of it. And I was terrified because I was not allowed to see R-rated movies. And I I remember being so bummed because I'm like, oh, if they make this book into a movie and it's everything in the book, I can't see it. And then I saw the poster and I saw that it was directed (laughs) by Steven Spielberg. And I breathed easy because my little 12 or 13 year old brain knew Steven Spielberg doesn't make R-rated movies. He makes a certain (laughs) type of movie. And it's funny like that was that was where i went to. i didn't know the auteur theory at that point you know i i just knew oh Steven spielberg he makes the movies i'm allowed to see and that i like and so i'll probably be able to see this um but even mm-hmm. at that young age i was i was picking up, i knew who made that um you know or yeah yeah no that's that's good that's i i hadn't even considered something like that but that influences so much of what we do. And I think it influences when I sit down to write a review, I'm immediately thinking back about what else the director's done, because that's, that's who's telling this story. Yep. So that's, that's fantastic. Um, (laughs) Thank you. I'm going to go, I'm going to get self-indulgent with this last one too. Um, And it, it, it has the, it has the possibility of sounding like I'm patting us on the back And I'm not, not meaning to do this Um, because what I'm going to say I'm thankful for is film criticism. Um, You know, I spent the better part of last year and the beginning of this year writing a thesis about the state of modern film criticism, right? Like how that has changed in the digital age. And so I spent several months just reading about film criticism, talking to critics, trying to figure out what impact Rotten tomatoes might have if anything. and through that I just kind of left realizing oh I, I I've been really like it's been fun to talk about that. but wow, I actually also get to do this and that's pretty <laughs> cool, right? like I get paid very little to watch movies and that's okay that it's very little because I'm being paid to watch and write about movies. So it does sound like there could be a, a pat on the back. Like we get to get on on Skype for 2 or 3 hours, you know, once a month and we get to talk movies and that is usually the highlight of my week when I get to do that. And and it's fun. But I started to think more about that and first off, I I don't think that I would love movies if it weren't for criticism. You know, I I I've talked about this many times. I grew up in a uh in a very strict household i was not allowed to see a lot of movies growing up that other people had seen and so as i started to watch movies that were you know a little more edgy a little little more grown up than i had grown up with um it was roger ebert whose writing helped me to understand oh this is why that clicks this is why this movie might be making me feel this way this is why i'm bothered by this but it feels so important Um, it, it's critics who've helped me to discover old gems and even just, even movies that I, I should have seen that might not be great. Like, Ain't It Cool News was formative to me in, uh, in high school because I was at that age where I was starting to realize I love movies. What should I see? And yeah, that was, they pointed me towards a lot of, uh. You know, seventies exploitation and things like that—that that maybe I shouldn't have seen at that age. But it was—it mm-hmm. was my education. They were my education into film. Um, it's how I've been able to talk to my kids about movies to kind of gauge what they're ready for. Is see what other critics have written about them. Talk to other critics. Um, but I'm realizing this year, it's—it's it's taken on so much more importance uh, in my life, or it's so much more meaning because on the one hand this thing i love to do which is sit in a movie theater a week before a movie comes out see it before anyone else gets to and tell people what i think about it i haven't been able to do that as much right like mm-hmm. i i've watched a lot of screeners but it just it's not always the same you know to it's not always the same to watch borat the day before it's released at home instead of seeing it in a theater But I feel like this has been a year, too, where critics have been very important because you don't have this giant marketing machine pointing people toward what's out in theaters. Mm -hmm. And word of mouth right now is how people are learning what they should pay attention to and what they should see and pointing out some of these smaller movies. Um, You know, I I don't think in any given year people would stop and watch um, I'm Thinking of Ending Things on Netflix um, but this year, maybe they will. Maybe they will, and they'll turn it off twenty minutes in because it, it, <laughs> I've seen the movie and we've talked about the movie. But you know what? Critics can point them towards that. Um, uh, something like Kajillionaire, which I really enjoyed. That's a movie that disappears if it's in a if it's in a crowded uh, theater system, fighting off three Marvel movies. Right now, there's nothing else out, and. Critics can get that in front of people. They can get that part of the conversation. Um, but I also think it's just such a fascinating time for for film criticism um, because, you know, we grew up with film criticism that was either written or on TV, and I love a good movie podcast. I love the Slash Filmcast, Film Spotting, um, Blank Check, which I, I will sit and all week take long walks just listening to them because <laughs> the dialogue is so fascinating on them um blank check is a must listen for me every month because that and i think you would love it too if you haven't listened to it they go through a filmmaker's filmography um you know film by film big you know mm-hmm. big filmmakers and uh, it's been fascinating to sit the sit and listen to them talk about Robert Zemeckis, uh, who <laughs> I, you know in a few weeks that is not going to be as fascinating, or it might be even more fascinating. But to hear you know them start with "I want to hold your hand" and then make the transition through Back to the Future and Forrest Gump, and then know oh shit, The Witches is just a few episodes away, and what the hell are they going to say about that? Um, mm-hmm. It it's been so much fun to see see new media begin to adapt uh, begin to be a forum for people to take chances. Um, video, YouTube, YouTube movie essays are also one of my favorite things. It's how I spend so many of my lunch hours. Um, Patrick Willems just did a 30 minute essay that is so smart and so funny about how the Austin Powers franchise predicted the future of cinema and our reliance on mythologies <laughs> and franchises and it's it's fantastic and i don't always agree with it and that's what's great about film criticism is you don't have to agree with it, but it always yep. it always enhances my enjoyment of a piece and there are many movies i don't like to watch like i i've watched them and haven't liked them but man i love to read about them and uh so i'm very thankful that that this field exists And there are some great people, uh, who are practicing it. Amen. So that is all I've got. Perry, do you have anything else? That's, that's everything I'm thankful for, Chris. All right. Yeah, me too. too. I
1: can't think of anything
0: else.
1: No, I could say so much more, but no, we're going to leave it at that.
0: (laughs) Well, I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope our listeners have a wonderful Thanksgiving. When people do want to escape from their family and they pull up the internet and just lose themselves for a bit in a turkey coma, where can they find you, Perry?
1: Uh, you can find me in a couple of new places. When, uh, when, when, when's this dropping, Chris? Is this dropping uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving? or
0: I think it's going go to out a few days before Thanksgiving.
1: The Friday after Thanksgiving, if you want to check out the Cathode Ray Mission uh Podcast. I am on there again. We are going through, speaking of new media, we are going to go through the entire filmography of Wes Anderson. I'm looking forward to that a great deal. And uh, if you want to dig back in their archive a little bit, uh, I got to do a great episode with Adam, the host, about uh, our our mutual love for St. Elsewhere television show oh, so that's fantastic. uh that was really enjoyable and so uh give those a listen you can find me in the lucy and lance show every friday morning on wlby in ann arbor you can find me on facebook you can find me on twitter at perry loves film and oh you can probably find me slowly driving slowly by my local multiplex <laughs> thinking is it safe yet should i should
0: i while Perry is doing that, uh you you can find me. I think we should have a new episode of Cross Culture Critic Up. Uh that is a show I do with uh my buddy Joe, where we talk about faith and pop culture and things like that. Um also you can find my newsletter, Chrysicisms.substack.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. That that usually has a weekly essay or something by me and then a link to where you can find all my writing and podcasting and brief thoughts about any pop culture i'm consuming that week we'll be back in a few weeks perry you have a great thanksgiving
1: you too you too chris